welcome to the Think MHK podcast presented by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. On this podcast, you will hear about a variety of local matters pertaining to the business community. You also hear from local business owners to hear their story and gain valuable business insights. Thanks for tuning in today. We have a special guest with us today. Uh, our newest staff member at the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce, Mike Matson, who just started as our newest Director of External Affairs, and which is a new position, and uh, we were thrilled to get Mike to do that. We're going to talk a little bit about that and a little bit about his history, which is an interesting one as well. So welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate and, that. And welcome to the Chamber. Right, thank you. So you started August 1st, right? So um, we're a little over a month into into your tenure, and... Um, and appreciate uh, you coming on. Tell me your initial impressions of of being a chamber staff person. It is uh, all good and positive. Uh, clearly familiar with the Chamber of Commerce and, and the role that they play in our community. Uh, having lived in Manhattan since 1998, I knew a lot of the people that are on the professional staff that were uh, – they're now my professional colleagues, so nothing but good things to say. Yeah, and of course, this is your second time in the, at AstroCast Studios, and uh, we appreciate you making time for us today. Um, so let's go back a little bit and tell us a little about yourself and how you end. How'd you end up with us at the chamber? Yeah, so I'm I'm a I'm a lifelong Kansan. I was actually born here in Manhattan. My father was a K-Stater. He was uh, going to K-State in the early '60s, uh, getting a degree in agronomy. Uh, his hope and goal once upon graduation was to go back to the family farm in Rooks County, north of Hayes, and go into business with his father-in-law, my maternal grandfather, who wanted to set my dad up on the farm. And so dad got the degree in, in agronomy here. My older sister and I were born here. When he graduated, we went back there, uh, did that for a while. Uh, dad would tell the story of uh, one day sitting on the tractor hearing a voice tell him that it's time to do something else. He was, had, was that your mom? That was, he, it's funny. I told that story once to a, when I worked at Farm Bureau, I told that story to a group of old grizzled veteran farmers. And he said, a lot of us hear that voice. Not too many of us listen. My, my dad struggled with the debt involved with farming. He preferred economic security. He had had a difficult childhood. And so he was looking for security and financial security and, and everything that comes with that. So he and mom had what, what they came to describe as the courageous conversation, made the decision to sell the farm, uh, used the proceeds of that sale to finance a graduate degree in education at Fort Hay State. And my, my father became a school teacher and he got a job teaching high school chemistry and physics in Wichita. So we moved from the farm in Rooks County to the city in Wichita when I, in between third and fourth grade, uh, for me. So I, I, I found as I've, I've grown and, and evolved in Kansas that 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 story is is pretty typical from a lot of folks of my generation. There's a lot of people who have connections to rural Kansas, farming and ranching, and then also one foot in the city or the suburbs. And so that's that's my upbringing. Uh, professionally, my career has been sort of three components. Uh, journalism, which then kind of connected and morphed into politics and government, which then sort of evolved into advocacy. So uh, my last job in broadcast journalism, I was covering politics and government for WIBW-TV in Topeka and a statewide radio news network uh, that aired on about 60 stations throughout the state. Uh, I always had an interest in politics and government. Uh, having 
having been that close to politicians and covering them in the state house, I, I got a sense of, of how things get done in the public sphere. I saw how their professional staffers worked and operated and that, that had an interest. I had an interest in that. And so in 1993, uh, uh, Bill Graves, who at the time was Secretary of State, was planning to run for governor uh, and was building out a campaign staff and asked me if I'd be willing to to walk away from a from a stable, steady paycheck in broadcast journalism from Stauffer Communications at WIBW for something as, as iffy as a political campaign. But it felt right. Uh, I connected with Graves. Uh, we were simpatico personally and politically, and I, and I appreciated what he had to offer. And so I took a job managing his uh, communications for his campaign. Uh, he was elected in 1994. Then I had the, the the good fortune to serve as the governor's communications director on the senior staff and managed le news media liaison, uh, managed the, the policy and the political message of the of the governor's administration, and it was it was really good work. I thought when I was a journalist covering politics, I thought I knew a lot about how things got done. And then I actually get into politics and realize I didn't know that much at all. And things things actually get done in a, in a fashion that was different than I had thought. Uh, so I did that. Uh, lo I loved that work. Uh, that was a time in the 90s when it was considerably different than it is today politically and just economically. Uh, we were riding high economically in Kansas in the 1990s. We, we, there was a time in the, in the first term that we couldn't give tax money back fast enough. The state was that flush. Uh, so it was a good time to, to be governor of Kansas and to work for a governor. Uh, in Kansas, governors can serve two terms. So in 1998, after Graves was reelected, those of us on the senior staff started looking for work. And it, it's like it happens often in professional careers. It's, it's networking, it's right place, right time, and it's opportunities that arise. And at the time, a woman named Patty Clark, who worked for... Uh, the Graves administration's Commerce Department doing agriculture marketing had left that job and was managing the policy shop, the lobby shop at Kansas Farm Bureau. Patty happened to be a mentor of my wife, and so we were personal friends with her. And so she got me a job or she opened the door for me to, to manage policy communications at Kansas Farm Bureau. And so I left Topeka, came over here. This is about the time my wife and I got married. I was living and working in Topeka. She was living and working over here in Manhattan. And we had a we, we had a decision to make as to where we were going to live, Topeka or Manhattan. That conversation lasted about ten seconds, and we bought a house in Manhattan and have been here ever since 1998. So again, professionally managed communications for Kansas Farm Bureau. Did that for about a dozen years. Had the opportunity in 2012 to go to work for a friend of mine. Ed O'Malley, who at the time was CEO of the Kansas Leadership Center, which is a system based in Wichita, which is derived from the Kansas Health Foundation. And it's a system that is philanthropically driven and it is designed to help enhance capacity of individuals, teams, people working on whatever agenda they're dealing with. Uh, great work. Did that for about five years. Had a chance to come back to Farm Bureau in another capacity, managing their foundation and strategic planning. Uh, so I'm, I'm back in Manhattan. Uh, actually, we'd never left. I was I mostly did the Wichita work remotely. Uh, and then, it, so in the meantime, I'm, I'm, I am serving on the Business Advocacy Committee. We'll get to that as a volunteer. And at the chamber. At the chamber, right. And, and that led to a conversation with you, Jason, about what, what this position might look like. And the next thing you know, here I am talking about it professionally. Yeah. And so we made the decision 
It really initially, probably the beginning of this year. So as we rebuilt after COVID, we we had had to um, lay off and not replace more, I think is more accurate, several employees because anything involving events and conferences just wasn't any of that going on. And so we were really slow to come back because uh, you, you, there was so much uncertainty in are we out of this pandemic? Are we not out of this pandemic? And and our of course our our convention visitors bureau budget was just slashed in the ha- in half one year because they're paid by hotel motel taxes. And so we were real thoughtful about how we came back. And one of the areas that, as I observed in my three plus years at the chamber, that I felt like we could be better at is uh, our policy and how we initiate with policy, how we engage with our policymakers. And so we had decided to create this job and. Um, I had a few people in my mind that I thought would be perfect for it. it you weren't one because at the time you, um, first of all, I thought, well, this is below his standards, but you had just accepted an, uh, another position and, uh, and, and seemed happy doing that. And, and you were a volunteer and you were chairing our committee. But as we went through the process and I was talking to several people and, and it's really hard what I've what I've discovered. It's really hard sometimes to get people to take a new job. So like a job that has been created uh, makes people a little nervous. And uh, so I was I was uh, bemoaning this process to you one day and you said, well, what about me? And I said, Mike, I, you know, and so I'm but I am glad you brought that up and, and I'm glad we're able to work something out. And I. You know, I've gotten more positive feedback uh, on this hire than than uh, probably any other one I've ever made. Period. Not just in Manhattan, but but any community. And I think it's that people recognize, yes, this is where we want to be more engaged as an organization. And yes, Mike is the perfect guy. And and I think that that right away when you came in and sort of the first thing, and in fact, before you started, I sent you a email with a link to some of the issues that are going on at City Hall with Parks and Rec. And I said, here's your first assignment. And um, within your first week, you were you were uh, um, emceeing, or that's not the correct word, what's uh, facilitating facilitating the the community forum. And so so I think we did make the right decision on that. And, and the other thing that that I always like to say is, you and I share one thing in common is that we both are journalism, uh, started our careers in journalism. And I've always said I love to hire journalists because they are the best at understanding. You you use this term and I've used this term a lot in my career, uh, a mile wide, inch deep, right? A, a, a little bit of understanding of a lot of things, but then also the ability to communicate those issues to people in a way where they can understand that process. And, and so historically i've i've found that journalists do this job chamber economic development convention visitors bureau really well i have i found some similar uh findings right i i the way i learn is by asking questions right and and that'll drive my wife crazy sometimes and she'll say get out of journalism mode right you're i'm, I'm done answering your questions but but that's the way that I learn, right? And I also learn by repetition. And this is, and so I will often find ways to ask the same question a different way, right? So that that helps me to kind of to catch on to that. So those skills that I learned as a journalist have served me well throughout my entire career. And and you nailed it with respect to this job, right? This this job's all about relationships, and it's all about building relationships, nurturing those relationships, so that at the end of that process, it is a feeling of mutual respect and trust, and that only happens through getting to know each other. 
And so we call it director of external affairs. And that's something that, that we found as we investigated other chambers that they named this position. And I thought that was a, that was a good explanation. But in theory, it's a government relations job. And so talk about, other than the journalism part of that, talk about your experience and how that you think that's going to help you in this role. Yeah, and and let me let me start by saying uh, when when you and I first had this conversation, it I'd seen enough about how chambers operate to understand exactly what this job was, and I was thrilled to see that the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce was thinking about a position like this because it's not unique in the chamber world. The Lawrence Chamber has a position such as this. The Topeka Chamber has a position. Clearly, the Wichita Chamber does. And so I think it just the, – the, the notion, the fact that the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce has added this position – take me out of it, right? Added this position to their stock of – their repertoire of, of, of human resources I think speaks highly for the membership and helps them understand that that this organization is serious about this kind of work. And there's a lot of things that happen within government that, that will have an impact, a lot of it visible, a lot of it not so visible uh, on, on, on members. And so uh, uh, I'm thrilled to have that opportunity. Uh, so when you think about uh, how, how that work gets done, I touched on this briefly just a bit ago. Right? It's all about it's all about building relationships with people. I mean, if it's a government liaison, that means that the chamber will involve itself with the federal government, the president and his administration, Congress and all the things that they do, the state government, the governor and his or her administration and all the executive branch agencies, the legislature. Uh, and then you get to local government and it gets it gets really, really complex really quick. You've got the Riley County Commission. You've got the Pot County Commission. You have the Manhattan City Commission. We'll deal with the Wamigo groups on occasion. Uh, and then that's school board. school board right here and elsewhere. So there are a host of levels of, of points of entry for this position with respect to how we can help move public policy on behalf of, of chamber members. And I'm very fortunate because of my my career and the experience that I've had and the fact that that my wife and I have lived here since 1998 I know a lot of these folks right so a lot of the early heavy lifting that might have to get done and just in terms of of building a relationship a lot of that hard work's already done because I have that relationship so then it's just a matter of me sitting down with folks and and explaining this job as you touched on earlier people don't Think people don't get up in the morning thinking about well, what's the director of external affairs for the chamber do, right? So it's I, I do. Well, I'm I'm confident Jason does, and, and clearly now I do. Uh, so there's two of us that do that. There you go. But most folks don't, and so that's an opportunity to lead into those conversations. So you talked about this briefly a minute ago, and our policy is advised. I don't want to say directed because at the end of the day, the board directs what we do. But our, but that's advised by a group we call the Business Advocacy Committee. Um, and you obviously now have had two roles with that group. One as well, three actually. One as a member, one as a chair, and then now as a staff person. But talk about the BAC and kind of what the role is in the organization. Sure, uh, and, and and maybe I can back up even a step if you just think about the the structure of of a chamber of commerce or any organization that is membership driven. Right there, there are a host of different systems within that org chart, and it and it starts at the top, of course, with a with a leadership board of directors, right? And that is the organization that will hire the the president and the CEO, and the president and CEO will hire the rest of us. But the work is informed by a host of volunteer committees, right? There'll be a membership committee, there'll be a a uh, 
business advocacy committee, you'll have an economic development committee, and a host of others. And that's just the way chamber systems work. And and I had a lot of experience with that sort of structure from my years at Farm Bureau because it's the exact same way that it works in a nonprofit family farmer rancher advocacy organization. There are a host of membership-driven committees which then feed up and the idea is that it gives ownership to the members right it gives the members an opportunity to serve they have experience based on what they do every day right in terms of their businesses that that can be brought to bear and so that's that's the structure of those the business advocacy committee here uh, within the chamber used to be called the public affairs committee years ago i can remember in fact i think my wife served on it when she was uh, uh, early in her career but it evolved to the point where the the volunteers realized it was time for an update. Uh, and so it was streamlined and it was brought that brought on more individuals that have a wide range of business experience. And I think this was six or seven years ago. And I was asked at that time by a couple of other volunteer members, Lisa Sisley and Lucy Williams, if I would be willing to serve. And uh, I was delighted to have the opportunity, flattered to be asked. And so I served. And then it came, Lisa was chair, her term ran out. Lucy was chair, her term ran out. And I didn't dive under the table fast enough when it came time to select another chair. So I was I was chairing that committee at the time. The group, in essence, works with the professional staff to help inform the public policy direction of the organization. Uh, again, the people on that committee have a wide range of of experience and and know-how, and they they under still have one might be fluent on military affairs with the federal government, one might be fluent on how Pot County works with Riley County, one might have experience with the school board, one might have experience with the legislature. So all of this this various broad sort of experience comes together as a committee. We then, as the staff, provide our thoughts and experience and our best ideas related to that. It's a consensus-driven deal, right? And so at the end of the day, we will land on a on an idea or a policy direction. That will then get forwarded to the board of directors. They'll have a deep and meaningful conversation about what that needs to look like, and then we go advocate for it. Yeah. And so somebody might who's not familiar with the chamber might wonder why the chamber is concerned with policy. And you know, my I think the the easy answer is, well, look how many of our jobs in Manhattan are public sector jobs, whether it's federal through Fort Riley, MBAF, uh, USDA, state through Kansas State, other entities. It's, it is so important to our economy that we are engaged at the state and federal level, but then locally, and to some degree, the state and federal level as well. But, but th- a lot of what we do in economic development and how we grow this community, which kind of is our core mission, starts with policy and good policy and and um, and so that has to be in place for us to be able to add jobs add people and have those individuals make more money and keep the quality of life in Manhattan the way we want it and an example of that that I think has come forward that I hope people recognize uh, the challenges that we have right now at, at city government with the budget and some of the issues right now with parks and rec and and other cuts that the city is having to consider is caused because we've had no growth in this community um, over the last five, six, seven years. Now we're turning that around a little bit and hopefully we'll see those numbers improve. But but you had what I would call a stagnation period uh, where you had some decreases of Fort Riley personnel. You had decreases in Kansas State students, decreases in Kansas State uh, staffing. And those impact tax receipts that, that our government 
collects to run the, to run their operations. And you can't see the cost of everything go up on an annual basis and your revenues stay flat without doing one of two things. You have to cut or you have to raise taxes. Those, neither one of those things are very exciting for us. And so what can we do to engage and be, and be part of that process and hopefully avoid these things going forward? Yeah, that's, that's a great point, right? And I am confident there's a lot of people that live in Manhattan that don't get up in the morning thinking about that stuff, right? And so that, that's our job. And so if you think about what, and you touched on it, if you think about Manhattan as a community, we, we take for granted this notion that, that we are economically stable, right? In the 2008 recession, I remember in this community, there was a lot of, a lot of community conversation about, well, we're, we're recession proof. And we kind of were. And the reason was we, we had stability because of the government money that was coming into this community. If you think about Fort Riley back at that time, and if you think about uh, expanding enrollments at K-State, and clearly both of those will lead to expanding enrollment in 383, those were the three big employers and remain the three bigger big employers in Manhattan. And that's fine and that's terrific and that's unique about our community. But but you nailed it, right? When 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 economic declines occur and when we don't have the numbers that we used to have at Fort Riley and when enrollment at K-State is going in the wrong direction, that will lead to smaller numbers at 383 and it starts to, to get impacted. And 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 you nailed it. The, the Parks and Rec thing is a is a classic example of what that looks like. And so when as an example, when when that occurred, that was as you mentioned, it was right when I started this job. And so it was we we jumped into that thing, you know, hip deep real quick. And it became very clear uh, very quickly. Uh, and I think we all knew this innately, but it was one of those things that when, when that started and we heard from chamber members about how much this means to them and their families and the, and the legacy that's involved in parks and rec programs in Manhattan, then we got engaged and we're trying to help work that. And it doesn't take long before you get into that to when you get six or eight inches into that and then you, you recognize it's pretty complex, this city, this city budget circumstance. And so then you learn about that and then, and then you then, then then the hard work comes right because these are decisions that are that are made by an elected city commission and in concert with an appointed city staff right and it's 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 just it's system work right and so where where's the points of power who has the leverage who makes the decisions and we as a chamber are working through all of that so that we can understand that better and can help advocate on behalf of our members whether it's through parks and rec or anything that goes through city government so when you think about our government systems in Manhattan is there anything in particular that stands out uh, what the thing that 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 strikes me, and what I get so excited about, and this happened when I was serving as a volunteer member of of the the business Adv- advocacy committee, was clearly you and the leadership of this organization understand this dynamic of of government tax dollar driven economy, right? And 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 that's fine, and that's good, and it all works when the numbers are going the right way, but. You, you you touched on this earlier too, Jason. The, the fundamental role of chambers of commerce is economic development, is to grow the area economy, and the way that is done in the 21st century is by adding jobs, right? And so when when I was serving on the BAC and you guys on the staff were working on Scorpion, we got all excited because it was like this is this is exactly what we need in this community is more private sector job growth that will lead then to 
a balancing out of some of these things, and it will lead to additional sales tax revenue and property tax revenue and all of that sort of thing. And so that's I get excited because I'm you know this is home. We're my wife and I are, are going to stay in Manhattan the rest of our lives, and clearly I want to be involved in the community. And when when you look at the work that is that is currently being done in the economic development area by the Chamber of Commerce, it's exactly what we need in this community to help spur that growth. And of course now. Economic development also includes trying to make sure or making sure that you have the labor force to fill those positions. Those things go hand in hand. And so now you find yourself working on things like childcare. Yeah, it doesn't take long uh, coming out of a pandemic to recognize that this notion of workforce uh, is, is real, right? People are having difficulty with human resources, right? There are labor shortages and, and and there's a whole host of reasons that lead into that. But that's a that's a significant part of that. Connected at the hip with workforce is childcare, right? And that's also somewhat pandemic driven, but it's also demographically driven just in terms of the age that the workforce is and the age that their children are. And so we are working diligently to try to get our arms around all those challenges and what that looks like. Uh, it's not as simple as, well, let's just pass a bill in Congress and we'll solve the problem, right? Because Congress can't really come to grips with what that needs to look like yet. Clearly, the state government is going to be involved. So my experience has been on major big-time policy problems that are difficult to imagine. Every level of government wants to touch it in some form or fashion. It takes a while sometimes to find the answer, whether that whether that's some sort of a collaborative effort or, or whatever that looks like. And oftentimes, government may not be the answer. But, but that's the role that I will play on the staff of the chamber is to kind of suss through all that, get a sense of where where it is that 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 the juice is and the power is and the influence is and what it is what is it that we can do to help facilitate good public policies on behalf of our membership. Yeah, and of course, two other issues you're deeply involved in that are related to that are housing, workforce development. You also serve on the MATC board. And so a lot of, lot of issues there. So what are our strengths as a region and how do we take advantage of those to create more jobs? Well, we're, we are, and this is easy for me to say because I am one, right? We're, we are Kansans and there's something very unique about Kansans and I'll, I'll expand that to just say the middle of the country culture, right? We are, we are an agrarian based sort of culture. We, this part of the country was started by hardworking people with a work ethic and a responsibility gene. And that has carried through, through the, the generations in Kansas. Uh, so I think that's the biggest thing we got going for us is that, and, and, and my sense is that you will, people who aren't familiar with the middle of the country, uh, from either of the coasts, when they start looking at the middle of the country, that's one of the the big draws for them, just in terms of the way that we think and operate and 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 act with each other. Uh, and so that that that's that's a huge part of it. I think that there is also uh, significant stability in that. I think that leads to opportunities to. To, for creativity and innovation that might not otherwise be there. Uh, so, so I think that's part of it. And then, then there, of course, there's geographic sorts of advantages. We're in the middle of the country, right? And so if you want a business that has access to all other points of the country for whatever business you're involved with, uh, terrific. Come here. Uh, Kansas has always prided itself at the state level uh, 
of of being on the cutting edge of infrastructure and and highways, right? I worked for a guy who, when he was governor, it was highways a big deal for Bill Graves, right? Because his family came through trucking, and so I, I had the opportunity at that level to understand ex exactly how significant transportation infrastructure is. And it wasn't just a Bill Graves thing. That thing that in that he inherited that throughout state government, and it still exists. There are lobbies and individual systems within that are based in Topeka that do nothing but work on behalf of transportation and infrastructure. And big picture, their efforts work because our highways are so good here in Kansas. Uh, and you hear that a lot. And all you have to do is drive from Kansas to Missouri or Kansas to Oklahoma or Kansas to Nebraska or Kansas to Colorado and get a sense of that. So I think that's that's part of uh, the advantages that we have. Uh, we're not we, we, the last thing I'll mention with respect to I think what makes us unique and what makes us attractive is we are not knee-jerk. Right, we we don't tend to react. We're Kansans. I think by nature are are careful, thoughtful, critical thinkers. Right, these are individuals who take a look at. All right, here's the opportunity, but what's that going to mean for step two, step three, step four, and step five? Right, and that's that is a huge component of of not only economic development work but public policy work too. Right, if you can find individuals who who can think about a problem all the way through to its end, then you'll come up with a better solution. And and we've done that here. I mean, if you look at NBAF and if you look at all the things that we've done, all of those things have have involved that structure and process that has led us to a good outcome. As a someone who's lived in Manhattan for a long time or been around Kansas for a long time, what what's different about Manhattan today compared to when you moved here? People don't like it when I say this, but you can make a case that we are kind of becoming Lawrence Jr., right? And, and that's just driven by demographics. There are younger people here today. Uh, I like to say that you can go to Aggieville today and and sit between a kid in cowboy boots and uh, a mesh ball cap and a kid with gauged ears and tattoos, Right, and that and that's just reflective of where we are as a society, right? The cultures are changing such that that we are we remain and will always be sort of a, an agrarian land grant community, but you know populations are changing, right? And, and all you have to do is look at uh, election results. All you have to do is look at where people are living. All you have to do is get a sense of the demographics of the community to understand that we are in a period of change in Manhattan. And that's that is that is hard for some people, right? There's a lot of people who who get used to the way things are and get used to a certain MO, modus operandi of, of getting things done, and it's hard to change. And so when you have – and we see that at the chamber all the time, right? Uh, the DEI conversation is a great example of that. The diversity, equity, and inclusion is the kind of a thing that we need as a, as a chamber to be involved with. And so we took the lead on that. You know, we, we follow the lead of our chair, Summer Ott Dirks, who think this is very important. But those are hard conversations, right? It's not the kind of a thing where you sit down in a room and all of a sudden you got an answer 30 minutes later. It takes a while. But that's that's the advantage of systems like the chamber that allow us then to tackle issues like that that are prevalent in the community, right? We ignore them at our peril because we need to be reflective of the entire community. So that's that's what I see uh, with respect to Manhattan. I'm not afraid of that change. I think that's just natural evolution. Uh, I have the the good fortune to have had experience in 
in Farm Bureau, and that is a rural-based system uh, that 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 stands up for family farmers and ranchers in the rural community. And that is a that is a community that is struggling with change, and it is difficult because of all the things we're talking about. And it, and it's just it's just a matter of inertia that those sorts of things will will impact Manhattan. You go from working for farmers to working for businesses. So That's right. No, no, no opinionated people in either one of those Not groups. Not in the least, right? right? They, everyone has thoughts and ideas. Yeah. So you've talked a little bit about your history in business and politics. Who do you identify as some of your mentors? Yeah, I, I, there's a couple of people that spring to mind, uh, and I've talked about him a couple of times in this conversation. One is Bill Graves. He, When he was Secretary of State and wanted to run for governor, he was he was he was a guy who didn't need politics uh, to assuage his ego. He, he his family was in trucking. His father and his uncle did logistics in the army in World War II. Came back after the war and built a trucking company based on the experience that they had in the in the army. Uh, so Graves was born. He was a baby boomer. He was born in the early. 50s and and had inten- had grown up intending to take over the family business and that was his that was going to be his life goal so he had a he had an undergraduate degree at the hometown school at Kansas Wesleyan in Salina and he was working on a, on a graduate degree in business and MBA at KU in the late 70s and he would tell the story of he got a call from his father and he said son I've got some good news and I've got some bad news the, the good news is you're set for life the bad news is I sold the trucking company. So he had, he had there, was, there was a resource, right? He didn't have to go to work, but he was a young man. He had skills. He had abilities. And so he had mentors who, who guided and directed him into public service under the notion that to those whom much is given, much is expected. And that was not a hard sell for him because he was, a, he was that kind of a human being. And so he was in public service for all the right reasons. And that's what attracted me to going to work for him. And so when I, when I got to work for him, he and I developed a, uh, a relationship where uh, colleagues would say I could read his mind, right? And that's what he wanted. And, and that was, that was a, a very beneficial uh, way to get things done because I understood what he needed before he needed it done. But he he did two things that 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 struck with me and that 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 I still still mention. And I, I've mentioned one of them in this conversation. He would always say, "People don't get get up in the morning thinking about their governor." Right, and and he's right. People have lives, and they have busy lives, and they are impacted by a host of different, pulled in a different bunch of different directions. And so, it's just important to to remember that we may get wrapped up in this work and think it's the most important thing in the world, but it's really not. Right? It it will impact people, but it's not the most important thing in the world. The other thing that he he did that that had a huge impact on me was. What I like to describe is process and structure. He he said it's not this, it's it's a simple mantra. Plan your work, work your plan. Right? That's something he learned from his folks. And so he is a huge mentor of mine. Another another big hero of mine in this community is Dan Yunk. Dan was superintendent of schools, uh, and then he left to become CEO of Kansas Farm Bureau. Uh, and so he was CEO of Farm Bureau when I was out there. And Dan. Uh, it, 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 I was, he was top of the flow chart. I was next level down with some colleagues and he was, I described Dan as a, as the quintessential manager of managers. He understood how to take that next level down to give them the freedom that they needed to do to, needed to have to, to get good things done. Just had breakfast with him yesterday. So it's, it's nice to be able to, to, and I talked to the governor here, Graves here a couple of weeks ago. So it's nice to be able to have those people that, 
that I learned from and, and that are still around that we can stay connected with. Absolutely. So you are in a newly created position. And so you get to define what that looks like going forward um, with obviously input from a number of volunteers and, and people who, who want to help. But what would you see as being your hopes and goals in this position and, and what it, maybe what it looks like in three to five years? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and and you, I'm sure you can tell by if you've listened closely to this conversation that that I will I, I like to be able to bring my my abilities on behalf of whomever the system is designed to serve, right? And this system is designed to serve men and women and families who have made a conscious decision to build a business here in this community, right? That is what a chamber of commerce is and does. And so that's my job is to work public policy to the point where whatever happens in the public policy realm impacts those members of the chamber of commerce in a positive fashion. And so that that is done like any any realm of work. That is done through relationships. And I have the good fortune of already having a number of those. So my goal over the next three to five years is to to where I don't have a relationship with someone that can impact our membership to build it, where I do have a relationship to strengthen it and to nurture it. Uh, and then the second thing that I will do, I hope to do in this job is to, as a result of those relationships and get a sense of where where the system wants to go, taking the lead from our, our board, understanding the, the dynamics involved in government, design strategies and tactics that will allow us to 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 go there. I just as an example have have a meeting scheduled with a League of Women Voters, right? That's a system in this community that that wants to help enhance the opportunity for people to vote. And that's something we need to be involved with. So those are the kinds of things that we'll get involved with. Well, Mike, I appreciate you being with us today. Appreciate you being willing to join our team and and uh, one of the things that I've always tried to do in my career in this work is make sure we're moving forward on an annual basis. So every year, something something different, something that moves us forward. And we don't just randomly pick things out of the sky. That's obviously advised by um, our volunteer leadership as well as best practices. And I see this as a massive step forward and, and a great opportunity for us uh, moving ahead and uh, and also a great benefit to our members and and the community overall. So uh, appreciate you being willing to be the first. I know sometimes that's hard and, and uh, take a chance on us. And, and we look forward to many years of, of prosperity for us and the organization. Same here. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Think MHK, a podcast produced by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. If you enjoyed the Think MHK podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe and share it out on your social media channels. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce.